Last week we went over Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, which say, Look, the days are coming. This is Yahweh's declaration. When I will make a new covenant for the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. The covenant they broke, even though I had married them. Yahweh's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Yahweh's declaration. I will place my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their mighty one. They will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. Yahweh's declaration, For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. And Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. I want to go over a few preliminaries before we continue in the 31st chapter of the prophet Jeremiah. We exegeted this text, went over it last Sabbath. I want to center in on something in verse 33 where Yahweh says, I will place my law inside of them and write it on their hearts. I want to make a distinction here that I think gets manipulated and misunderstood by a lot of people. And that is this. The new covenant promise is that the law of Yahweh is written on your heart and your mind. It's not that your heart is now the law. Very important that you understand that. A lot of people think that the new covenant means that now, since Christ has come, we just go by our heart. We just go by what we feel. Our heart is the law. That's not what the promise is. The promise is that the same thing that was written on stone or written in the book of the law, that's placed beside the Ark of the Covenant, that same law, every bit of it, is written on your heart and on your mind. We don't want to rely on our feelings. Our feelings differ from one person to another. Our feelings might differ in our own self from one day to another. We want to rely on Yahweh's law. And he is in the process of writing that law in our heart. It's not fully completed yet. We don't go by promptings. We don't go by what we think is right. We always go back to the law of Yahweh. We always see what Yahweh said. If we're just to go by promptings, then why would we stop at just not really paying attention to the law? Why would we just not pay attention to any of the scriptures if we just go by promptings? One guy told me one time when I was discussing with him in the spring of one year around Passover time, he told me that he had gotten to such a place of spirituality that he no longer read his Bible. He said, and you too, sir, first time I ever met him, he said, you too can get to that place if you want to where you won't have to read the Bible anymore. Well, I'm not at that place, brothers and sisters, and I won't be at that place until my cold, dead body gets resurrected from the grave. And I'm fully endowed with the Spirit of Yahweh, knowing His law inside and out. Because it's not just on the outside anymore, but it's on my inside. So the contrast is whatever was set before you at one time in the form of stone tablets or a book will be in your heart fully at the finality of the new covenant which is synonymous with the resurrection and the kingdom of Yahweh. Don't you love Yahweh now, Brother Matthew? 
I'm sure I love Yahweh. First yeah. John 5, 3 says, This is the love of Yahweh that we keep his commandments, and they're not a burden, they're not grievous. Yes, I love Yahweh now, and that's because he's given me his spirit already. But he's just given me a down payment, something we're going to look at here a little bit later in the sermon. In a moment, we're going to look at that down payment. You know, people loved him back at the time of Mount Sinai, too. We just didn't start loving Yeshua and Yahweh after the cross. People before the cross loved Yahweh and the promise of the coming Messiah. They loved him, too. They served him, too. The Shema said these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. You are to serve him with your heart, your mind, and your strength. It's just that that new covenant promise is even more glorious than the old covenant because the new covenant, the law, is fully written on your heart. But people still loved him back then, too. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 34 through 36, says that Caleb, Caleb was one of the two people, adult men, that made it to the promised land. Do you know there were only two men of Israel over the age of 20 that were allowed to go into the promised land? Only two. Caleb and Joshua. Only two. Now all that were 20 years and younger, the men, they were allowed to go in because they were still considered little ones. It looks like in the scriptures that that's the age of adulthood. is being about 20 years old. Caleb and Joshua made it in. The Bible says that Caleb had a different spirit and he wholly or completely followed Yahweh. So Caleb loved Yahweh. In the book of 1 Samuel 16, verses 7 through 13, when prophet Samuel was going to anoint a new king over Israel to replace Saul because Saul had disobeyed and thought that sacrifice was more important than obedience in 1 Samuel 15, Yahweh spoke to prophet Samuel as he looked over all of the sons, or what he thought was all of the sons of Jesse. And he said they looked noble and they were tall. And Yahweh told him, Samuel, my prophet, don't look at how tall somebody is. Don't look at how stateful or how much stature somebody has. For Yahweh doesn't see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance. Yahweh looks on the heart. Yahweh looks on the inside. Sometimes I wonder why Yahweh chose little old me, born of a Walden and a Jansen, a Canadian and a Georgian. He's got my mama's accent and looked like my daddy. Why did Yahweh choose me? Yahweh doesn't see as man sees. Yahweh looks on the heart. And I'm forever thankful that he chose me. But Prophet Samuel said, is there anybody else here? And Jesse said, well, I've got one more son. He's out keeping the sheep. I can bring him here. And David came. And Yahweh said, that's the one. That's the man right there. The shepherd boy. The one that wasn't even in the running. People loved Yahweh back then too. David was a man after Yahweh's own heart. They loved Yahweh, but you know what? They still sinned. Prophet Moses loved Yahweh, but he still sinned. Caleb and Joshua loved Yahweh. They still had struggles. They still had problems. You're not alone with your problems and your struggles. You're not the first person that's ever struggled with things. Everybody in this room struggles with something. And all of the Older Testament saints in Israel, they all struggle with things too. They had problems too. Look at David's sons. They had problems. Samuel's sons had problems. Prophet Eli's sons or priest Eli's sons had problems. 
All those families weren't perfect. Don't think that when you read the Bible, you're reading about perfect people. They struggle with sin, just like we do. You can love somebody and still make mistakes. The key is, is do you repent? Do you ask for forgiveness? Do you try to do better? That's right. We love Yahweh. Even though His law is not fully written on our hearts yet, we still love Yahweh. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Book of the prophet Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll begin at verse 35. Verse 35 begins by saying, Yahweh, this is right after the first promise of the new covenant, Yahweh who gives the sun for light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it waves, its waves roar. Yahweh of armies is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says Yahweh, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. What's he trying to tell us there? It's simple. He's trying to say, if you can change what takes place in the heavens, one you, you can see, the sun, the moon, the stars, you can change that, then I won't deal with the people of Israel anymore. The point is, is that you're not going to change that. And Yahweh's still going to deal with the people of Israel. He's talking about physical Israel, whoever they are. He's not cast away his people. Yahweh loves that nation that he chose from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He also loves anyone from the nations that joins to Israel. He loves them too. Verse 37, Yahweh says, If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, says Yahweh. Once again, the heavens have not been measured. The foundations of the earth have not been searched out. I watch documentaries sometimes and they talk about drilling through the earth or going to the deepest parts of the ocean and there's parts that they still haven't went to. And Yahweh's saying, if you can search all that out, then Israel will cease. What he's saying is you're not going to search all that out. It's too vast and Israel won't cease. Israel will still be my beloved. So that's part of the promise of the new covenant too because that's who the new covenant is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah as I said last week somebody outside of Israel wants to serve Yahweh they don't have to say Israel forget your law forget your way of life and join Christianity no in the first century the question was how do the Gentiles how do the nations join to Israel that's what Acts 15 is all about that's the question so people have it backwards and Christianity began to divorce itself from Hebraism as the centuries went on. But we know our Messiah was a Hebrew. Uh, he was an Israelite. He practiced the law of Moses. All his disciples practiced the Torah. They kept Sabbath. They kept feasts. Every believer in the Messiah from the get-go, like in Acts chapter 2, was either an Israelite or a proselyte to the, to the nation of Israel. It wasn't until Acts chapter 10 when Yahweh knocked Peter upside the head and told him, there's this Elohim-fearer, there's this God-fearer named Cornelius and I want you to go and talk to him. I know that according to your oral traditions, you're not supposed to fellowship with somebody like this. And Yahweh sent Peter this vision that perplexed Peter, and he wondered what it meant because there was animals that were unclean in the sheet. And, of course, Yahweh showed him that that vision wasn't about breaking the dietary law. <laughs> that vision was about don't call any man common or unclean. Um, and he says in every nation, Ethnos, every ethnos, there in Acts 10, 34, whoever fears Yahweh and works righteousness with him will be accepted. 
So that's when the nations began to, to join in. The uncircumcised nations, by the way, uh, were given that grace period to join in. Look at verses 38 through 40. Now, what most people miss is that the New Covenant promises continue here at the end of Jeremiah 31. Most people don't read this far into the promises, nor do they read in 32 and 33, which we'll get to in a later sermon, but chapter 32 and chapter 33 are still about the New Covenant promises. I want to show you this because at the beginning of verse 38, it says, Behold, the days come. Now, compare verse 38 back with verse 31. Behold, the days come in verse 31. Behold, the days come in verse 38. I said last week, it bears repeating, that when you see this in the book of Jeremiah, or you see this in the prophets, usually, behold, the days come is talking about a prophecy for the Messianic era. I believe the Messianic era, uh, the first stage of the kingdom, the best of my understanding, is yet future, yet to come. I understand that when Yeshua came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is near, Elijah read that in Matthew 4, but I think what that's talking about is Yeshua saying, I'm the king, I'm here, I'm going to heal, I'm going to preach. And so you're getting a taste of the kingdom right now. <laughs> and Yeshua has stepped out of the first realm and he's moved into the second realm since his resurrection from the dead. And he's already obtained that celestial or immortal body. He's already a full member of the new covenant and we will become full members upon our resurrection of the dead because just as Yahweh raised him from the dead he will also raise us up from the dead at our master's coming verse 38 said behold the days come says Yahweh that the city will be built to Yahweh from the tower of Hananel to the gate of the corner the measuring line will go out further straight onward to the hill Gareb and will turn toward Goa the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields to the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east will be holy to Yahweh. It will not be plucked up or thrown down any more forever. Here's where people want to start spiritualizing things. Some people spiritualize this whole new covenant promise. Once again, look, the days are coming links with verse 31, the prophecy about the new covenant. The city here in verse 38 is Jerusalem. I think it's a reference to the new Jerusalem. I think that the earthly Jerusalem is a shadow and a copy of the heavenly Jerusalem. Just like the earthly temple or tabernacle was a shadow and a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. When you look at what took place, as we read Leviticus, you look at what takes place in the earthly tabernacle. That's a copy and a shadow of something that is of a greater reality in the heavens. So don't think that it doesn't mean anything when we read that. There's something going on in the heavens that that's patterned after. And that's why when Prophet Moses was with Yahweh in the mountain, Moses was told by Yahweh, make sure that you build everything on the earth according to the pattern that I showed you while you were with me in the mountain. Very important to understand that. So Jerusalem is a, a copy and a shadow of the heavenly Jerusalem. Copies and shadows are not bad things, brothers and sisters. If I told you built me a new house, it's nice it's a copy and a shadow of the Taj Mahal you wouldn't think I was talking down about my house you would think, boy, Brother Matthew's house is probably nice so when the scriptures speak of things on earth being a copy and a shadow of the things in the heavens, it's not saying it's derogatory it's saying it's prestigious when the Sabbaths and new moons and festivals annual festivals are called shadows of things to come Paul's not thrown off on the calendar He's saying they're shadows of something of a greater reality in the future. 
the Messiah is the substance. He's the shadow caster. The calendar, the feast, new moons and Sabbaths is the shadows that he cast. All of those feasts point us to the Messianic era, the Messiah, and greater things to come in the future. Then he names things and places. He talks about here in verse 38, the tower of Hananel and the hill of Gera. These are actual locations that the Israelites who first heard this prophecy would know about. These are physical locations. And he says these things will be built to Yahweh. He mentions Kidron. Kidron is mentioned in John 18, verse 1, in the Gospel of John. It's a real place. The whole valley there in verse 40 is probably the Hinnom Valley, what we call Gehenna, because it mentions the dead bodies and the ashes. And all of that, it says, will be holy to Yahweh when these days come, and it will not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. The land will be holy to Yahweh, never demolished. Now, at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they began to rebuild things in the city. They began to rebuild some things to Yahweh, but all of that was later destroyed in A.D. 70 by the Roman armies. This prophecy, when this comes to fulfillment and completion, these actual locations will not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever, and this is just as much of the promise of the new covenant as verses 31 through 34 and 35 through 37. Just as much. A restoration of the city of Yahweh. The city of Yahweh that will come down from heaven one day. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at that. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall happen in the latter days. I think that links up with Behold the Days Come that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall go and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the mighty one of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go out and Yahweh's word from Jerusalem. Verse 4, if you're wondering, well, is that future? Look at verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will decide concerning many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We've got wars and rumors of wars on the earth to this day. But when this happens, all the implements that nations used to fight battles and wars will turn into gardening equipment and there will be no more war. This is the kingdom. This is another promise of the new covenant. Look at Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 I think links up with Jeremiah 31 and Isaiah 2. Micah 4 1 But in the latter days it will happen that the mountain of Yahweh's temple will be established on top of the mountains and it will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it Many nations will go and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of the mighty one of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for the law will go out from Zion and Yahweh's word from Jerusalem, and he will judge between many peoples and will decide concerning strong nations afar off. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither will they learn war anymore, but they will sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. 
and no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of Yahweh of armies has spoken. In the kingdom, I look forward to planting some vines, planting some fig trees. I don't know, maybe I'll plant an avocado tree. I don't know, I like avocados. I'm not going to spend eternity sitting on a cloud in a white tutu playing a harp. That's not what the promise of the new covenant of the kingdom is. We're going to have real bodies. And we're going to be able to talk and walk and frolic and sit under vines and eat figs. And there will be immortals, and I think there will be mortals and immortals dwelling together, just like at the resurrection of Yeshua where he was immortal. And he still ate fish there at the seashore, the shore of Sea of Galilee. There were still mortal disciples that were interacting with him. And I think this is a, a taste of, of the kingdom. And then after that's through with those thousand years, which might be literal, might be figurative, it's a long time regardless. <laughs> thousand years, even if it's little, that's a long time. But after that, in the finality of the kingdom, the first heaven and earth passes away, and the new heavens and new earth are in all of its fullness, and then there are no more mortals, only immortals, because you have to be immortal to live throughout all eternity. These are some of the promises of the new covenant. The new covenant promise includes the restoration of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 36 Now, I know that some of you say that I have too many favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> if I had to pick <laughs> my favorite verse, it would be Ezekiel. 36, verse 24 through 28, 29, maybe 30. <laughs> I want to encourage you to read the whole 36th chapter of Ezekiel when you go home tonight and then read verse 30, chapter 37 and then not only go into 38, but 36 and 37 for sure. 37 is the promise of resurrection and the two sticks of Israel and Judah coming together. And if you read it, if I read it and I'm honest with the text, I can't say that it's already taken place. I have to say that this is yet speaking of this Messianic era kingdom um, wherein will dwell righteousness. And there'll be no more war, but only peace. And we'll sit peacefully under fig trees and grapevines. Ezekiel 36, I just want to read verses 24 through 28. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. People want to dismiss that. This is New Covenant prophecy. People want to dismiss that. I can't dismiss it. Then he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will also give you a new heart. Notice how this sounds similar to Jeremiah 31. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. So new spirit and my spirit is the same. Because Yahweh saying, I'm going to put my spirit within you. And this is talking about the fullness. Not down, not down payment, not earnest, but the fullness. Because when he puts his spirit within you, he says, and cause you to walk in my statutes, you will keep my ordinances and do them. You can't help but serve Yahweh if you've got the completeness of his spirit living inside of you. You can't help but serve him. 
verse 28, you will dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. That's going back to Genesis 12 and 13 when he gave that land to Abraham. He said, walk this way and walk that way. The land on which you tread I will give to you and your descendants. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. The land inheritance is part of salvation. Yeshua says this in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is part of the new covenant promise. We've got to read just a little bit more. Verse 28 of the end, you will be my people, I will be your mighty one. 29, I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and will multiply it and lay no famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that you may receive no more reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. I don't do this for your sake, says the Lord Yahweh. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, house of Israel. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, in the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be built. The land that was desolate will be tilled instead of being a desolation in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited, so forth and so on. We could keep reading. These are some of the promises, the better promises of the new covenant. Now go back to verse 27 where he talks about, I will put my spirit within you. Notice the new heart, the new spirit, and my spirit are all connected. And within you should remind you of Jeremiah 31 where he says, I'll put my law inside of you and write it on your hearts. The Septuagint also says he will write it on their minds, on our minds and hearts. When we think about this, we should think about some of the Newer Testament writings where the Apostle Paul talks about how that we already right now have the gift of the Spirit but not the fullness of the Spirit. Let me show you this in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. It says, In whom also we were assigned an inheritance, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who does all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we should be to the praise of his glory, we who have before hoped in Messiah. In him, in Messiah, you also, having heard the word of the truth, the good news of your salvation, in whom, having also believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Where was it promised? Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. I'll put my spirit within you. But notice verse 14. Who is a pledge of our inheritance to the redemption of the Almighty's own possession to the praise of His glory. That word pledge is translated as earnest in the KJV. It's translated as deposit in the NIV. The New American Standard Bible calls it the first installment. I like that. But when the KJV, the old KJV says earnest, it should make us think about what? Earnest money. Earnest money, defined by Webster's Dictionary, is a deposit made to the seller that represents a buyer's good faith to buy a home. It's a portion. It's a pledge. It's a deposit. It's the first installment, but it's not the completeness. There's still more money that comes after the earnest. And brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, you've been given the earnest of the Spirit, and that's why, that's why 
you have a desire to serve Yahweh. Now you still battle with the flesh because you don't have the full deposit yet. You still battle with the flesh. And praise Yahweh, sometimes we overcome when we battle, but sometimes we give in and we sin and we have to repent and confess Amen. and get back in the race. Amen. It's because we really are in between two worlds. One of our feet are in this world, the present world, and one of our feet, in a manner of speaking, is in the world to come. Why is one foot in the world to come? Because our high priest, our Messiah, our elder brother, is already participating in that world to come. He's already up there in that heavenly tabernacle. He's already obtained his full inheritance. Immortality. And this is why after the resurrection, not before, after the resurrection, Paul talks about that the fullness of deity dwells now in him bodily. Colossians 2, 9, Colossians 1, 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 Let's look at verse 21. It says, Now he who establishes us with you in the Messiah and anointed us is God, is Yahweh. Verse 22, Who also sealed us and gave us the down payment of the Spirit in our hearts. Also 2 Corinthians 5. Let's read this beginning at verse 1 in 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to this. This is resurrection language. For we know that if our earthly house of our tent is dissolved, we have a building from the Almighty, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Mm -hmm. For most certainly in this we groan, longing to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. That's resurrection language. Longing to be clothed with immortality. If so be that being clothed, we will not be found naked. For indeed we who are in this tent now, we groan, being burdened, not that we desire to be unclothed, but that we desire to be clothed, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who made us for this very thing is Yahweh, who also gave to us the down payment of the Spirit. All of this links together. Ephesians 1, he says, you've received the promised Holy Spirit. It was promised in the prophets. It's part of the new covenant promise, and we've got a glimpse and a taste of it now. But we'll get the finality of it at the kingdom's fullness. The down payment helps us see now that there's a not yet also. There's a now to the kingdom. There's a not yet. There's even a now to the resurrection in the sense that we've had the new birth already. We want to serve Yahweh. There's a now to the resurrection. But there's a not yet to the resurrection too. Where that doggone flesh tries to creep this ugly head up when you want to do good evil as present Paul says in Romans 7 I'll be gone be gone get thee behind me Satan but that feeling that you have now if you're converted that feeling of that desire to serve Yahweh you can't explain it to an unconverted person you can only explain it to somebody that has that same feeling but as good as that feels now, when you want the desire to serve Yahweh, that's going to be multiplied to the greatest degree when you're raised from the dead to immortality. And Yahweh's whole spirit goes inside of you. And you participate in full inheritance. When you're talking about living on Mars, Brother Guinali, talking about inheriting the earth. These are promises of the new covenant. 
And they're beautiful promises. They're better promises than the old covenant. Next week we'll continue in this. And we'll look at Jeremiah 32 and Jeremiah 33. We may look at some things in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as well. Uh, that I think get misunderstood. Um, thank Yahweh for that down payment. But be eager to receive the full installment. He's given us the earnest money. And recognize that you're sealed. You're sealed. But the best is yet to come. Amen. We love Yahweh.